be seated. Tell your neighbor, our God is an awesome God. Go. All right, you can be seated. Uh, the psalmist agreed with us this morning and said, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Our God is a great, awesome, almighty God. God is worthy of all of our praise and God is worthy of all of us. All we are and all we have is from God and it's to be used for God, for his purposes, his glory, his fame, and his name. Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. We are unpacking God's truth for our lives and our study through Galatians. Real quick review, the problem that Paul addressed at the beginning of chapter 3 was the believers in the churches in Galatea were turning away from God and the truth of his gospel to the false teachers and their false teaching. The reason for the problem was that these believers weren't focused on God. They believed God, they believed the truth of God's word, his gospel, but they had taken their eyes away from God and his word, and they were being turned away from God and his word. They were drifting away from God and his word under the influence of the false teachers and their false teaching. These false teachers taught the way to God is through works of circumcision, obedience to the Old Testament law, the dietary laws, the festival ceremonies, the regulations written and oral in the Old Testament law. And so we know Paul taught clearly, confidently, and consistently the way to God is by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Works puts the focus on us, what we can do. Grace puts the focus on Jesus, what he has done. And so we know, Paul said, there's no one who ever will be or ever has been declared right with God by their works for God. Paul focused on the message of God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. He wanted to focus on Jesus, what Jesus had done. Jesus took our place on the cross, paid our price for sin. Salvation is God's gift to us of his grace that we receive by faith in Jesus. So Paul corrected these believers in a few different ways, and we're going to look at these ways once again this morning. The first way, real quick, that Paul corrected these believers is Paul used the example of their faith. Paul reminded them in the first half of uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, Paul reminded them of God's gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. He reminded them of this gospel that they heard, believed, and received by faith in Jesus, not by doing the works of the law. Paul knew this because Paul was the one who taught them God's truth, and he was the one who led them to faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Secondly, Paul used the example of Abraham's faith. Paul used the example of Abraham in verses 6 through 9 to remind these believers that justification by faith was taught in the Old Testament just like in the New. In verse 6, Paul said, just like Abraham who believed God, say that with me, who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. God declared that Abraham was right with him based on Abraham's belief, faith, and trust in him, not because Abraham did a lot of good works for God. It's because of his belief and faith and trust in God. The way to God in the Old Testament and the New Testament is by grace through faith, not by works. Like Abraham, 
Paul shared with them and he shares with us. We're to demonstrate our faith in God by our obedience to God. Faith in God and obedience to God lead to the blessings of God. And so he made his way to this passage we're going to focus in on this morning as we've looked at these two reasons over the past couple of weeks. Now we're going to look at the third reason. Paul used the curse of the Old Testament law to correct these believers. Look at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. We see Paul's shift in this verse immediately from the previous verses. If you look in verse 7, Paul wrote, You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Those who have faith. Say that with me. Those who have faith. So we see Paul spoke of those who have faith in verse 7. Now in verse 10, Paul spoke of those who what? Rely on works. Those who rely on faith in verse 7. Those who rely on works in verse 10. Now look in verse 9. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Paul spoke of those who have faith. He said those who have faith are blessed in verse 9. He said in verse 10, those who have works of the law are cursed. So we see the shift. Paul, beginning here in verse 10, was helping them understand he didn't understand why they or anyone would rely on their works for God to get them to God because it's impossible for our works for God to get us to God. Because it puts us under a curse when we rely on our works to get us to God. And because when we receive God's gift of salvation by his grace through faith, we receive the blessings of God. And so Paul was trying to bring these folks back to the truth of the gospel as he was correcting them. So let's look at verse 10 and we're going to take it apart bit by bit. For all. We'll just stop there. For all. For is a connector. It's the connector word that connects verses 1 through 9 with verses 10 and following. All means all. Everyone, every person, every Jew, every Gentile, for all, who rely on the works of the law, who rely on the works of the law, everyone, for all, for everyone, for every person, Jew or Gentile, who rely on and trust in their efforts, their works, their obedience to the law to get them to God. That's what he's saying. For everyone who relies on their works for God, their efforts for God to get them to God, he said, for all the relevant works of the law are under a curse. They're under a curse. Curse here, under a curse, literally means they are under the control, the mastery, the power, the load of sin. For all, for everyone, for every person, Jew or Gentile, who rely on their works for God to get them to God are under a curse. They're under the power, the control, the mastery of sin because they are separated from God because of their sin against God. Paul continued, because it is written. Because it is written refers to the scriptures. Here Paul's referring to what was written in the Old Testament. And Paul said, because it is written, and then he tells us what is written as he quotes from Deuteronomy, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And he says this, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law, 
Notice everyone and everything. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law. Paul did not water down God's truth. Paul did not compromise in any way. Paul quoted Deuteronomy. Paul said, everyone who does not do everything written in the law. Every person who does not obey God in every way, every day, all the time, is what the writer of Deuteronomy, what Moses was talking about. You see, what he was talking about was the law requires perfection. The law requires perfection. Obey all the law, all the time. So Paul's saying, those of you who rely on your works to get you to God, if you don't obey everything in the law all the time, said you got to obey all the law all the time because that's a requirement of the law. The law requires perfection. Well, we know we've missed that mark because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he's helping them to understand works will not get you to God. And just in case some of them may have been confused, in James, if you want to turn to your right, if you're taking notes, you can jot this address down. If you want to turn real quick and do a Bible drill, turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse 10. James, as he was teaching, uh, made this statement, and it, it just fits and connects with what Paul has said. James chapter 2 and verse 10. James said this, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. Hello. What is Paul saying that James would agree with? Paul's saying this, being good, even being really, really good, is not good enough to get you to God. Being good, I mean even being really, really good, obeying it all but breaking it at one point, you've broken it all. He says everyone, again he's making this case, Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of law is cursed. Those who believe and trust and rely on their works for God to get them to God are under the control, mastery of sin, the power of sin. They're separate from God because they're sin against God. They are unwise, and he said they are cursed. They are cursed means they are facing the condemnation and judgment of God. They're under the control of sin, and one day they're going to face the judgment and condemnation of God because they're cursed, because they're relying on their works to get them to God. As the late great preacher Charles Spurgeon said, the only thing the law can do for sinners is judge them, curse them, and condemn them. That's it. The curse that he was referring to is simply this. Those who rely on their works to get them to God are cursed because their works will not get them to God. They'll miss God. They'll miss him. He's letting them know and reminding them, breaking the law, even at one point, breaking the law, which means sinning against God, breaking the law, sinning against God, brings God's judgment, God's divine condemnation, wrath, and it brings death. Because Paul had said in Romans, for the wages of sin is death. The payment of their sin, the curse, is death. Seeking, Paul's point to these believers is this, seeking 
justification by faith and seeking justification by works is to travel down opposite roads that lead to opposite destinations. The road of faith leads to heaven. The road of works leads to hell. Now, the key point here for us to be reminded of is Paul was not telling these believers that they are now all of a sudden going to lose their salvation because they have started to turn away from grace and started to turn to works. It wasn't what Paul was saying. Paul told them this, believers, believers, because he knew they were believers, believers who turn away from grace to works, believers who seek to live for God by their strength, not the Lord's strength, believers who get tripped up and turn away from God because they buy into the lie that it is their works for God that make them acceptable to God, and it is their works for God that make them approved by God. Believers who start living in their strength rather than the Lord's strength and who start chasing after works rather than living in the freedom of grace, they lose, they forfeit the blessings, the freedom, the joy, the peace, and the power that is theirs in Jesus. Paul understood this better than anybody because Paul spent the first half of his life in Judaism trying to earn his way to God and he knew it was a futile attempt he knew it was frustrating he knew it was a failed effort he understood this and so he's reminding him listen you cannot get to God and you certainly cannot live for God in your power by your works you get to God by God's grace through faith in Jesus, and you live for God by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And he's reminding them that the Holy Spirit of God is the one who transforms them in the likeness of Jesus, and it's the Holy Spirit of God who empowers them to live for Jesus and love like Jesus. So stop pursuing the works of the law. Stop pursuing your approval and acceptance by God, by your works for God, and get back to grace. Get back to the gospel truth. Get back to living and enjoying and walking in the freedom and the joy and the peace and the blessings that are yours in Christ Jesus. Get back to grace. And it was vitally important because they were also to be witnesses to those around them. And so those who, observing them, these false teachers who were leading them astray, the false teachers and all those who they were leading astray that didn't have a relationship with God, they were under a curse. And so this was vitally important, and Paul continued, and he said in verse 11, Now it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. He said, now it's clear. So what Paul is doing here is he is making his case for faith as the weight of God. Faith is the weight of God. That's the weight of God. That's what he's saying here. He said in verse 10, those who try to get to God by their works are under a curse. Now he says in verse 11, it's clear no one. He said, no one is justified before God by the law. No one means no one is justified before God by the law. Justified means to deem or to declare right with God by a judge. What Paul is saying now in verse 11 is no one, and that means no one, no one at any point in time has been or ever will be justified no one will ever be deemed or declared right before God, the righteous judge, by their works for God. 
Not only are they under a curse trying to get to God by the works for God, they're never going to get there. It won't work. And he said in verse 11 as he continued, because the righteous will live by faith. What a beautiful statement. Paul here actually quotes the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk said, in the Old Testament, the righteous, those who are right with God, live by what? By faith. Say that with me. By faith. Again, by faith. This was Paul's summary in a sentence. It was his sermon in a sentence. It was the point he was making, Old Testament and New Testament. The righteous will live by faith. Paul, again, is making the point. Justification by faith is taught in Old Testament and New Testament. Paul's making the point. Faith leads to blessings. Works leads to curse. He's trying to get them back, focused on the gospel, focused on God's truth. They've strayed away. And then he continues in verse 12. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. He said, but the law is not based on faith. What he's saying here is the law and faith are not compatible as the way to God. The law says do. Faith says believe and receive what's done. The law focuses on us. Grace focuses on Jesus. It's like what one Bible scholar said. They said live, the law is the opposite of faith. It said leaning on the law means leaning on self. Exercising faith means leaning on faith. So we, we lean into Christ. We lean into him as we exercise faith in him. When we exercise and we're looking at the law, works of the law, that means we're leaning on ourselves, what we can do. And he said here in verse 12, but the law is not based on faith. They're incompatible with one another as the way to get to God. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Here once again, Paul quoted Deuteronomy. He quotes Deuteronomy here, and he helps us to understand Deuteronomy. He quotes Habakkuk, and he's quoting Leviticus. Levi Deuteronomy in verse 10, Habakkuk in verse 11, and Leviticus in verse 12. The one who does these things will live by them. The one who does the one who does, does here, means the one who does, the one who acts, the one who obeys, the one who does, does in the Old Testament always was as a result of faith, not a requirement for faith. The one who does these things, these things, if you look back in Leviticus, you'll see that what he was referring to, these things refer to the commands, the statutes, the ordinances of God that he had given to Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. And they were to love God, follow God, and obey God, not the pagan nations around them. And they were to obey God by doing what he said in his word, the law, the Old Testament, out of their faith in God. Not as a way to get to God, but because of their faith in God, they were to obey God. We as God's people are also today called to love God, to place our faith in God, to obey God because of our faith in God. It's a demonstration of our faith in God, our obedience to God in the truth of his word. And so Paul here taking this Old Testament text, bringing it in to the New Testament times, he said, the one who does these things will live by them. Meaning, 
the one, the follower of Jesus Christ. He's talking to these believers in this letter. He's saying, listen, guys, the one, you who, by your faith in God, walk in obedience to God, you will live by them. That means you will please God and you will experience the blessings of God in your life because of your faith in God and your obedience to God leads to the blessings of God. Again, faith over works. Grace over law. Getting them back to where they needed to be. And then he continued in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Here is the good news, the great news, the exciting news of the gospel. Here it is. You see it right here at the beginning of verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Say that with me. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus, our Savior, redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus was our substitute. He took our place on the cross. Jesus was our sacrifice. He paid our price for sins. Jesus is our Savior. Faith in Jesus is the only way for us to enter into a relationship with God. You see, Jesus satisfied God's demand for a perfect and holy sacrifice to be made so that we who are imperfect and unholy could be made right with a perfect and holy God. Jesus, the righteous one, died for us, the unrighteous ones, to bring us to God. And so Paul is reminding these believers in us right here, and he said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. What does that mean? It means Jesus Christ has purchased our freedom from sin, Satan, and death by his perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus has redeemed us. He has redeemed us. Our works don't redeem us. We can't redeem ourselves. We have been separated from God because of our sin against God. And Jesus Christ came to this earth and he purchased us. He redeemed us. He bought us back. He redeemed us. He purchased our freedom from sin, Satan, and death. The curse of the law so that we might be able to know God and have a relationship with God. He redeemed us by his perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection. So remember what Paul is saying here. He's saying, he has said this, the law requires us to be perfect. If you want to work your way to God, the law says you have to be perfect. You have to do all the law all the time in order to get to God. We know this is impossible because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The curse, therefore, of the law, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, because we're under the mastery control of sin, the curse of the law is God's judgment, his condemnation. The curse of the law is death apart from God in a very real place called hell for all eternity because we know and understand the wages of sin is death. Now, in verse 13, Paul said, for the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, Jesus became a curse for us. He redeemed us. He became a curse for us. He bore the punishment of our sin on the cross of Calvary so that we might receive forgiveness of sin, so that we might be able to enter a relationship with God, so that we might be able to know God, be redeemed to God, and we might be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's exactly what Paul is highlighting here. Jesus took our curse and he gave us his blessing. The great exchange. Our sin 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. I love what one Bible scholar said. He said this, Jesus willingly, out of his love for us, went to that cross, which to him was a tree of death, in order that he might make it for you and me a tree of life. He's again highlighting this power. And then he says in verse 14, the purpose The purpose of Jesus becoming a curse for us. The purpose of Jesus' perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham, remember last week, the blessing of Abraham is that we are right with God by faith in God. The purpose of Jesus becoming a curse for us, taking our punishment upon himself, giving, taking our curse and giving us his blessing, was so that the blessing of Abraham, so that we might become right with God by our faith in God, so the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. So the purpose of Jesus becoming a curse for us, the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth to rescue us from our sins, is so that each one of us, Gentile and Jew, could receive the blessing of Abraham. We could become right with God by God's grace through our faith in God, by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, and so that we might be able to receive the promised Holy Spirit by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. So that not only that we can know God, but that we can live for God by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. God has given us his spirit so that we might be able to live for him and love others like him. And he's reminding these believers as they drifted away from grace to works. They were drifting away from their source of power. They were drifting away from the source of truth. They were drifting away from their source of encouragement, the power of the Holy Spirit in them, the source of truth, God's word, the source of encouragement, the people of God, because they were trying to get to God on their own, and others were being led astray because they were turning away from truth to the error of the false teachers. And so Paul here is reminding them, he's correcting them. He said, listen, remember your own faith. Remember the faith of Abraham. And now he's sharing with them, listen, you guys, if you're going to keep going and you think works is the way, you got to understand the curse of the Old Testament law. Works will not work. They won't work. They won't get anyone to God. So what is our application? What does God want for us today? What is our takeaway? What can we take away and apply in our lives And what can we use in our lives to our ministry, to those that God places around us this week? First, I must embrace grace. That's real simple. It's clear. We must embrace grace. Grace is the unearned, undeserved favor, loving kindness, and strength of God poured out on us, in us, to us, and through us in Christ Jesus. The gospel is the good news of God's grace to us. We are right with God by God's grace through faith. For by God's grace are you saved through faith, not by the works of the law. Remember, works bind us, grace frees us. Say that with me. Grace frees us to live our lives for the Lord in his power, for his honor and glory. Grace frees us. The scriptures encourage us in regards to grace. As Solomon said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives his favor. He gives his loving kindness. He gives his strength to the humble. That's why we're to humble ourselves before the Lord, knowing that he will lift us up in his time on a day-by-day basis. We know that Peter said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
To him be the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. We're to grow each day in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're to continue growing and we're to continue meditating on this amazing truth that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so we understand that God's grace is sufficient for us. His grace, his favor, his loving kindness, his strength is sufficient for us. His power is perfected in our weakness. Paul is saying to these guys, you're, you're going back into bondage with works. You need to embrace grace because there is freedom. There is life. There is blessings. There is joy. There is fulfillment. It's there as you embrace grace. And you and I embrace grace as we receive Jesus by faith. We embrace grace as we live for Jesus by faith. And we embrace God's grace today as we help others to receive Jesus and to live for Jesus by God's grace through their faith in Jesus. You and I must embrace this grace, this amazing grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. And then secondly, Paul said, I must live an it is written life. You and I, we need to live an it is written life. If you look at this passage again, as we've seen, Paul quoted the Old Testament, verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, verse 13. We see over and over again. Paul said twice in this passage, it is written. So what is Paul doing? He's pointing us back. It is written, points us back to God's word. It is written, highlights the importance of obedience to God's word. It is written means simply this, God said it, that settles it. It is written means God said it, that settles it. Some folks interpret it and they say it this way, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, that's incorrect. God said it, that settles it, whether you and I believe it or not, it's true. God said it, that settles it. And it's incumbent upon us to believe it, receive it, and live it out. God said it, that settles it. All Scripture, as Paul said, is inspired by God. It's breathed out by God, by His Holy Spirit. To the authors of Scripture, those men that God created, called, equipped, gifted, and empowered to write His words to us. It is written, Paul said it, because it is written, because it is written, it is written here in this passage is in the perfect tense. It is written, is in the perfect tense. The perfect tense signifies something that happened in the past and it has continuing effects in the present. So what Paul is saying was simply this. This is God's word. It is written. This was God's word years ago. This is God's word today. This was trustworthy years ago, this is trustworthy today. This was right years ago, this is right today. This was true years ago, this is true today. This was relevant years ago, this is relevant today. This was a guide for believers years ago, this is a guide for us as believers today. This was full of God's blessings years ago for those who read it, believe it, and live it, this is full of God's blessings for those of us today who read it, believe it, and live it. God's Word, it is written. See, living an it is written life means living in obedience to God and His Word. The psalmist said, how can a young man keep his way pure? 
by living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart, God, so that I might not sin against you. God's word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path always, all the time, every day, in every way, in every circumstance. Scripture is useful, it's profitable for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. So that we'll be equipped, ready, able to do all that God calls us to do on a day-by-day basis. This word never returns void. It always accomplishes God's purposes and plans that he has set for it. And so we know and understand it is written. What we see written here is from our almighty God to you and to me. And Paul was pointing them back to their faith as a recipient of the grace of God, their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. You see, we show God our faith in God by our obedience to God today. And as we obey God, we experience the blessings of God in our lives. As we obey God, we experience the blessings of God in our lives. Think for just a moment. I'm sure if I asked each one of you to come up here, you all could answer this simple question. I want you to just think about it for just a moment. Think about a point in time this week where you were blessed by God because of your obedience to God. Think about a point in time yesterday where you were blessed by God because of your obedience to God. We demonstrate our faith in God by our obedience to God. And as we obey God, we are blessed by God, which continues us to grow into that faith and obedience to God. This is exactly what Jesus said as he was finishing the greatest sermon more than likely that's ever been recorded in Scripture, Sermon on the Mount. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. And then he said, here's how you follow me, Sermon on the Mount. And he said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded against that house, but it did not fall, for its foundation was on the rock. Likewise, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded on that house, and it collapsed. And its collapse was with a great crash. Here's why this is so relevant for us today. At times we look at the scripture, and especially when we start diving into this doctrine and we look at Old Testament, New Testament, what Paul was saying to these believers years ago, at times it might be a challenge. To, to be able to, to get in there and understand and then come back up and out and, figure, and see, okay, well, how does this relate to me? We've talked about embracing grace and living in his written life. And I want you to understand this conversation, this battle of faith versus works that was going on a couple thousand years ago is so relevant to us today. Because there are so many people today who believe that as long as their good works outweigh their bad works, as long 
as they're a good person. As long as they try hard and do their best, and as long as they're not as bad as other people, that will be enough. And they believe that they will get to God. And they believe that they will spend eternity with God simply because of their works for God. Somehow, some way, they've bought into this thought process that as long as they do more good than bad or as long as they do enough good, that's going to be enough to get them to God. And we know this is a false hope. We know this is sinking sand. Paul said no one will be justified by their works for God. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. He became a curse for us. He redeemed us. He purchased our freedom from sin, Satan, and death by his perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection. And he is the only way to God. And so we know that grace is the gift of God's favor, God's loving kindness, God's strength to you and me that we receive by faith in Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that takes away our sin. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the only way to God is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I Jesus is the only way to God. And we, as followers of Jesus, are to join with Paul in helping those around us know and understand that the only way to God, the only way to an eternity with God, the only way to a relationship with God is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of invitation. And I want to encourage you to spend this time responding to the Lord. Maybe what God's calling you to do is just to simply respond and, and thank Him for His grace that was poured out to you in Christ Jesus. To thank Him for redeeming you from the curse of the law. To thank Him for purchasing your freedom from sin, Satan, and death by His finished work on the cross of Calvary. Maybe God wants you to go and minister His grace to a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling, going through a difficult time. The altar is open as always is to come and kneel and do business with the Father. Our pastors and ministers will be standing up here. They would love to pray with you, pray for you. If you have a need, care, concern, they would love to pray with you, pray for you. And We also would understand that According to Paul's teaching this morning, if you've never received God's gift of grace by faith in Jesus, if you are counting on your works 
to get you to God, if that's been what you've been relying on throughout your life, then I would encourage you to embrace God's grace today, right here, right now. Receive his gift of salvation by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Simply cry out to God. Confess your sins to him. Repent. Turn from your sin and turn to God by just simply placing your faith in Jesus. He will save you and change you from the inside out. And he will fill you with his spirit and he will empower you to live his way day by day. If you desire to make that decision, we would love to introduce you to Jesus. These pastors love to introduce you to Jesus. And we want to celebrate with you if that is the decision you've made this morning. So let's stand and let's respond to God in obedience to him. 